Good morning, everyone. I just want to let you know that Russell is passing around some water. I feel like uh, I never get to it, and it's such a waste as it's sitting up there, so I'm going to make sure at least someone benefits from it. Those of you who have been here probably know about my friend who's in the hospital, and I just want to give you an update on him. He is doing better. He actually started moving his hands for which we're very thankful. But the thing that impressed me most is that when I go to the hospital and I'm visiting a patient who is on the ventilator, they can't speak, they can't communicate, and they're usually slightly sedated. So what I'll do is I'll ask them, is there something you'd like me to read you from the Bible? And many times they won't think of anything and you know, they just kind of are open to whatever, or they don't want you to say anything. But my friend, he said, James 5.14, Psalm 27, Psalm 55. I was so encouraged by what he was sharing with me. And of course, I had to say, okay, Old Testament, New Testament. Old, no, yes. So we had to do it that way. But I can tell you, Jesus Christ is in Al's life. There is no question in my mind. There's no patient I've ever seen that has a stronger hold on the Lord in that situation ever. And so I shared with him. We read all those passages to him. Uh, We sang a song to him at the end. We actually got to share a little bit and witness to the nurse that was taking care of him. And he's doing very well. uh, Praise the Lord um, as far as his spirit. His physical, they're still unsure. They've pretty much ruled out all the really bad stuff. So probably not uh, a blood flow problem, no tumor, you know, no meningitis, nothing like that. So the bad news is, is, though, that they don't know what it is still. So he's still recovering slowly. This afternoon at 5 p.m., if you remember to pray, myself and about six others of his very close friends are going to be performing an anointing service for him and following the counsel of the Lord. So please remember at 5 p.m., if you can, to remember to pray for Al and his family uh, in the hospital. In fact, let's, uh, let's go before the Lord right now. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you that though the body and the flesh is weak, that the spirit is strong in Al. And we just ask that you would do the same for us right now. Help us to remember that life is not guaranteed, but only eternal life in you is guaranteed. And Lord Jesus, I pray that as I present this truth that has transformed my life, that every person in this room would see Jesus Christ as my prayer in his name. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask a funny question to start out. And there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer necessarily. Uh, I'm not going to go or anything like that. Just say whatever you feel and whatever you happen to know. Does God love you? Okay. Simple question. Does God love the angels? Sure. Does God love the people that don't know him? Okay. Does God love the people that do know him but have rejected him? Does God love the people that are lost? Does God love his angels? Does God love the wicked angels? 
does God love Satan? You know, it gets kind of quieter as you go on. Have you noticed that? <laughs> not, not really sure exactly about some of those. But I'm going to ask you a second question. Why does God love you? Anyone? God is love, right? The Bible itself tells us that God is love. It is his nature to love. It's like you're saying he can't help himself. Why else? Why, why do you think God loves you? Like, what, what do you think? So he created us as creator. Thank you, Season. Why does God love you? Anyone else? All good answers. That's fine. Now, what I'm going to be sharing is something that I learned, and it's very, I guess, intriguing how I learned this, because how many of you have a cell phone? How many of you get text messages, (laughs) like all the time? (laughs) I can tell you that this truth was as a result of a text message that I received. Now, to give you some context, there's a little bit more than that. I was facing my boss. My boss had asked me, and he said, I need to meet with you. When do you have time? Come on in. We're just starting. I need to meet with you. And when your boss says he needs to meet with you, is it to say, you know, I just wanted to see how you're doing. Everything going okay? How's your sister? Doing good? Oh, that's great. Is that generally what your boss calls you for? No. It's usually something bad, right? So I asked all my friends, I said, please, please pray about this meeting with my boss. And I had one friend who responded. I had more than one friend who responded. (laughs) But this is a text message. Praying for you, claiming Luke 12 that he will give you the words to say when you need them. Whatever happens, I'm proud of you. Short message, simple, nice, right? But it bothered me a lot. I thought about it for days. Because the last part of that message says, whatever happens, right? Now, whatever is a fairly broad term. (laughs) Whatever could be as good as, Tim, we love you so much. You're the best doctor we've ever had. We're doubling your salary and we're cutting your hours in half. Right? I mean, that's whatever, right? But whatever could also be, you know, you got your license out of a Cracker Jack box. We have never seen someone as bad as you. You don't use deodorant and you're fired. I mean, it could be that bad, could it not? But whatever happens... I'm proud of you. And I had a problem with that because if I was fired, I wouldn't be proud of me. Would you? Oh, wow. We've been working since I was 15, full-time and part-time. Never lost a job in my life. And I'm fired? What kind of witness is that to the people who aren't Adventists and even to the people who are Adventists? They're like, wow, Riesenberger, you got fired, huh? I'll pray for you. 
because I myself would be humiliated, ashamed, and not at all proud of myself. Not even close. But it's interesting. As I was thinking about that, God led me to a story. And it's a familiar story to you. Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 25. 2 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 25. Now in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as who? Absalom for his good looks. From the, sole of his, uh, from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head, there was no blemish. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Absalom's like GQ personified. You know, he would be classified as what we call a manly man. One who is flawless. But unfortunately, the outside does not always reflect the inside. If you go down to 2 Samuel chapter 15, we have Absalom here waiting outside of the courthouse. And what is he doing? He's meeting with the people, right? Now, would you say he's doing something to promote confidence in the government? As his father is aging, his government becomes more and more inefficient. People are waiting long times to have justice served. And while they're waiting, Absalom comes over to them. And he says, oh, you've got a great cause there. If only I were a judge in the land, I would do you right. And when people go to bow to him, because he's the prince, right? He stops them. He takes their hand. He kisses them. He wins their hearts by stealing them away from his father. Verse 6, In this manner Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. And so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Dropping down to verse 10 and 12, Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city, from Gilo, where he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Now, who was Ahithophel? Can someone tell me who Ahithophel was? He was, the, uh... he was related somehow to Bathsheba, not his uncle. He was actually her grandfather. Now, you tell me, if your granddaughter had an affair with the governor, and then he had your grandson-in-law assassinated, and then lied about it publicly for a year. And then it finally came out that he did it, and then nothing happened to him. How would you feel? Come on in, we're just starting. How would you feel? Do you think Absalom was enthused with David as the king? He was 
angry. He was bitter. And he was never going to forget what had happened. You know, because I can tell you that God forgives. And he will remember our sins what? No more. Unfortunately, human beings aren't as merciful. They may even forgive, but there's very few who forget. Very few. Now, Ahithophel neither forgave nor forget. <laughs> I can tell you that. Because if you look at 2 Samuel 11.3 and 23.34, you'll see that he was Bathsheba's grandfather. We're not going to go there. But I'm sure he was looking for an opportunity like this against David. But just when you thought it could get no worse, it does. Absalom moves into Jerusalem and David is forced to flee. Bless you. 2 Samuel 16.11, David makes it clear. It says, David said to all his servants, My son, who came out of my own body, is seeking my life. So, Absalom has committed treason. He's taken over the capital. He's stolen the affections of the people. And he's trying to kill his own father. But just when you thought it couldn't get worse, it does. Drop down to chapter 16. 2 Samuel 16, verse 22. So, Absalom asks his trusted counselor, Ahithophel, so what should I do? He said, well, here's an idea. Why don't you um, sleep with all your father's wives? It sounds like a great idea. And verse 22 says what they did. They pitched a tent for Absalom where? On the top of the house. And Absalom went in to his father's concubines at night, privately, in the sight of all Israel. You know, we're told in the spirit of prophecy that Absalom added to his sins of treason and murder incest. Now, I'll let you think about that for a little while, but not too long. We'll move on. So after this, David has run for his life from his own son. And does he have the majority of the people on his side? Is that right? Are most of the people loyal to David? Is that right? No. You know what Ellen White tells us? She said the company that followed after David was but a little handful compared to the vast multitudes of Israel that were with Aslan. Bless you. A little handful is all that David had. And he takes that little handful and he divides it under three generals, preparing to make the last stand of his life. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 18. On the first few verses, David is preparing his army. And you imagine that as a king, he would have some words to say to his troops. And he does. Perhaps though, not what you'd expect. He says to three generals. And we're told in the spirit of prophecy, he repeats this command to each individual general as they go by. And he says, you will be victorious in the name of the Lord. Our God shall fight for us. Is that what he says? 
He doesn't say that, does he? He says the same thing three times. Now the king commanded Joab, this is verse 5, Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, saying, deal gently for my sake with the young man, Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains orders concerning Absalom. So did he just kind of whisper this to his generals? No. Every person heard him. Every single person heard this command. Now I'm going to go ahead and kind of fast forward through the battle because you kind of know what happens. Is that all of Israel is coming down and descending upon David's little company. They fight in the woods of Ephraim. And praise the Lord, against all odds, David's army is victorious. And as Absalom is going to flee, what happens to him? He gets caught by his prized possession. His hair that he weighed out every year, right? He's caught there kind of strung up, you know, and the, the mule keeps going. He's like, well, wait a minute. And someone finds him, a soldier. And he's very hesitant because he remembers what? What does the king say? What did he say to everybody? He even says not to touch the young man Absalom. So he tells Joab, and Joab's like, well, why didn't you take him out? He's like, you yourself would have killed me if I'd have done that because you heard the king. So Joab's like, okay, whatever. So he comes over and he takes not one, not two, but three spears and thrusts them through the heart of Absalom. And if that's not enough, ten people surround him. They all kill him and throw him into a pit and throw a bunch of rocks on him. And that's the end of Absalom. And then they send messengers to bring word to the capital. Well, not the capital, the city. So they go, and one messenger is running to give word. And that messenger arrives, and he has good news, that we're victorious. And David says, praise the Lord, he has spared my life. Oh Lord, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Is that what David says? He has only one question for the messenger, does he not? He says, well, were there many casualties? Did we lose a lot of men? No. No. He asked one question. He said, where's my son? Here's the question. 2 Samuel chapter 29. The king said, is the young man Absalom safe? Now, he doesn't really give him a great answer. So he waits for the second messenger. So the second messenger comes giving the same news. He says, well, yes, I I heard this from the first messenger. Praise the Lord that we've won. Is that what he says? Do you know what's funny? Is that if you go to verse 29 and 32, the question is exactly the same verbatim. David's not resting yet. He says, is the young man Absalom safe? The messenger said, he is dead. Now, I want you to turn to verse 33 and read that very carefully. 
Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only what? I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Did David love Absalom because he was a loyal citizen? (laughs) He had created the worst rebellion in the history of Israel. Did David love Absalom because he was a loyal son to him? He was trying to kill his father. Did David love Absalom because he had a moral character? You don't get much worse than incest. And so the question remains, if that wasn't why, you tell me, why then did David love Absalom? Because wicked though he was, after all, Absalom was his son. And I can tell you that at that moment, God spoke to me three words that I will never forget in my life. There have only been one other time when God has spoke to me, and that's my calling to be a physician. And it wasn't like there was fire in the sky. I didn't hear a voice. It wasn't like I opened the closet door to see if someone was in there. But it was God's voice because the words came into my head and they were a new thought that I had never had before in my life. God said to me, Tim, I don't love you because you're a Seventh-day Adventist. I don't love you because you're a physician who saves people's lives every day. I don't love you because you consecrate a portion of every month to me in mission service. I don't love you because you give away large portions of your income. I don't love you because you minister to orphans. I don't love you because you're nice to the people you meet. I love you. Here's the three words. Because you're mine. And don't you see? That is the reason that David loved Absalom. It is so simple. It is so clear. There's no question in my mind now. And my life has not been the same. I finally realized it doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter what I do. There is one thing that will not change. And that's the fact that I'm God's son. And I tell you at that moment, I knelt down and I cried till I couldn't cry anymore. There were no more tears left because I saw God at last. For all these years, I had read this story like you had, but I had not seen my father.
but I saw him at that point. And I go back to the original question. You want to know why God loves you? (laughs) It's that simple. You know, we talked about God's nature, and it is true. God is love. It is very true. He loves because it is His nature. But you know, have you ever met somebody who you ask them, you know, do you have any enemies? Well, I love everyone. Haven't you met those people? I know people like that. And it's like, well, but, you know, you roomed with such and such last year and, you know, no one else could live. Oh, we didn't have any problems. Oh, but, you know, they're a a slob and they're noisy. Oh, no, it didn't bother me. I just went right to sleep. And it's just like, you know that it's not that person. You know it's just because that person's nature is so sweet and so kind They're going to have problems with no one because of who they are, not who they're rooming with. They're just that way. But you know, it's not that. That is part of it. And you know, I can tell you that in my job, I have seen this truth so many times, but not understood it. As most of you know, I work in the emergency room. There is death every day in my job. Not my patients, thankfully. But I observe it somewhere in the emergency department. And I can tell you if you're Christian, Buddhist, Shinto, Adventist, Hindu, it doesn't matter. I can see this truth. I'll tell you an example of a 15-year-old boy who is the passenger of a pickup truck that his father was driving. They were T-boned by another large vehicle. The father was thrown clear. The boy was in critical condition. He came in. The paramedics were doing CPR on him. He had multiple injuries. He had blood coming out of several holes in him. No heartbeat. No breathing, no blood pressure. They're doing all that they can. And as he is spiraling downwards, and I know that all the blood in my bank is not going to save this boy, after I've innovated him, put a large line in his chest, and have done everything I possibly can, reinflated his lung with a chest tube, I hear the father behind me saying, If only I had been where? In that passenger side. If only it was me instead of my boy who was there. Had an eight-year-old girl come in. No hair. Vomiting uncontrollably. The triage nurse couldn't do anything. She needed an order for medication. We need an IV. We put the fluid in. We give every medication. We give four different medications. Vomiting, vomiting, vomiting. Nothing left. Green stuff starts to come up. And I hear a mother's broken sobs. Doctor, why couldn't it have been me that had the cancer? Why couldn't I take the chemotherapy for my little girl? Do you think these people are Christians? They're not. Did you know that? They're not. 
I've seen people who do it who are Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist. Because they understand the truth that transforms the world. They love because this is their son. This is their daughter. And they would trade everything they have to switch places. I can tell you that it doesn't matter. You know, I've seen, I've seen parents show up to kids who are runaways. They haven't seen their kids in 20 years. Do you think it matters? Well, I haven't seen him in 20 years. Doctor, you do whatever you want. No one has ever said that. They say, that's my boy who's been away for all these years. Do what you can to save him. Do whatever you can to preserve his life. I can tell you that as David acted toward his son. David's a human being, right? (laughs) David's love is human. It's less than God's, remember? I can tell you that many people think, wow, is it too late for me? Have I committed the unpardonable sin? You know, I, I just might as well give up. You know, think of Absalom. And ask yourself if you've done the unpardonable sin. (laughs) Okay, we've got lying, cheating, treason, murder, incest. I mean, what what more are you going to add? I mean, you kind of run out of sins at this point. You know, you're breaking all ten commandments. No more. You're going to break. And did you realize, even as Absalom's trying to assassinate his father, and David's sending out his armies to try to defeat this overwhelming force. He's still giving him a command. Have mercy on my boy. Do you realize that? That when God looks at you as you are nearing the end of your probation and He is sending the armies of heaven to go bring judgments and to defeat you, do you know what He says to the angels? He says, be easy on Tim. Have mercy on him. Do what you can to bring him back home. Do whatever it takes. Because he's my son. I can tell you that David and his story is very similar to many of the critical situations I have in the ER. Because when does God give up on you? I'll tell you when. It's so easy. I had a two-year-old child come in. Actually, one and a half years old. And the grandmother was taking care of him. And unfortunately, she went to rouse the child in the night and the child was blue. Not breathing, not responding. They rushed the child in, doing CPR. And I do the whole, I do the whole same thing over and over again. Intubate the child, lying in his chest. We're giving him liquid adrenaline through the IV. We're shocking him over and over again. And we're running this gauntlet for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And right about 30 minutes, the same thing happens, I can tell you. I'm at the head of the bed. 
commanding the nurses and the respiratory therapists and my residents and things like that and what to do. But I hear some footsteps behind me at about 30 minutes. And someone comes up behind me, and they're kind of going a little slow, and I'll just feel a little tap on my shoulder. And it's one of the parents. And they'll say, um, Dr. Riesenberg, I'm sorry to interrupt you, um, but I've noticed that my son has not moved for 30 minutes now. And he hasn't breathed for the same amount of time. And I've noticed that your monitor has had this big flat line on it for the last half hour. And I need to ask you if there's any what? There's any hope. And if I tell him, no, you know, I realize the monitor was like that, but when we got the EKG, I actually can see some movement of the heart. And I think we've got about a 10% chance of survival here and to get all his brain back. What do you think they'd tell me? Keep going. But... And if I tell them, you know, Mrs. Smith, I really have some bad news for you because you're right. Your son has not breathed for not only half an hour, but the paramedic said for another 15 minutes. At this point, there's really no hope of any sort of brain function, no matter what we do at this point. And do you think they say, well, shock him a few more times. Poke a few more needles in him. Put another catheter in him. Keep pounding on that chest. Do you think that's what they say at that point? They look down and they sob. And they say to me, well, can you just let him go quietly so he doesn't suffer anymore? And I say, yes, I can. And I'll pull the plug, we'll take the tubes out, and we'll give the parents some time alone as their son slips away. And I can tell you that is the time God gives up on you. When there's no what? When there's no hope. Isn't it that simple? When you are gone. And there is nothing more God can do. No matter how many times He shocks you, no matter how much epinephrine He pours into you, He knows that it's only going to give you pain. And it's had no chance of turning you around. Can you imagine if I said, well, would you mind if you know, we shock Him a few more times, maybe put a couple more lines in Him just for practice? You know, they wouldn't be enthused about that, would they? Why would you make my son suffer anymore? He's dead. He's gone. Give us a few moments to say goodbye. That's exactly when God gives up. Because I can tell you that David didn't give up. His questions were the same to the messenger. He didn't stop until what? Till he knew that Absalom was dead. And that was it. That's the unpardonable sin. When God knows He can't reach you anymore. When He knows that He has to let His Son go. Can you imagine? I see Gene and his wife in the audience, so I'm going to talk to them. 
If I came up to you and one of your daughters was in a car accident and Jean, you had seen that I had done everything at this point and I had given it my best and I put my arm around you guys and I said, you know, you've lost Heather, but you still have two other daughters. I'd say, well, you know, you guys are still young. Maybe you can have another child and, and name her Heather. You know, I would be fired the next day from the report that you turned in. Because does it matter that you have more children? Not one bit, does it? Would it matter, Heather, if I said to your mom and dad, I said, well, Haley's gone, but you still have Heather. They're identical twins. What do you think Debbie would say? She'd say, you what? Are you crazy? Having another child, having one that looks the same, that sounds the same, that even thinks the same in some ways, doesn't mean a thing. Because it doesn't replace the one that's gone. And we think somehow that God can like make a few more people. Right? We say that to God. We somehow think that of God. If you're gone, God has suffered a permanent loss because you're His. Don't you see it makes sense why God leaves the 99 now. Do you see? If I were to ask you, how many of your kids do you want to be saved? 80%? 90%? You're like, what? 100%. Well, you got, you know, three of them. That's 75. That's not bad. That's a C. There's no grades when it comes to your children and your family, is there? I understand perfectly why God leaves the 99 now. Because that's His Son that's out there. Because I can tell you, if Andrew dyed his hair, he said, I'm done with this issue. I'm taking all this off. I'm not following any of your guys' results. I'm getting a nose ring and an ear ring. I'm moving in with my girlfriend. I'm dropping out of school. Do you think your parents would stop calling him? Do you think that they would just say, well, we got Haley and Heather and, you know, we lost her son, but, you know, we still got you guys. And They would be on Andrew 24-7 in prayer. They would come up with any excuse. Well, we're having this social at church. Um, you know, your sisters are going to be there and we'd really like you to come. Um, we're going to be playing this and, you know, uncle such and such is coming and... They would think of every reason, would they not? They'd probably spend more time on Andrew because he needs them than the other children. Don't you see? It's so simple. It's so simple. I can tell you that God tells us how he feels in Second Peter chapter 3. And verse 9. 
Second Peter chapter three verse nine. The Lord is long suffering toward us, not willing that what? Any should perish. But that the hundred and forty four thousand should come to repentance. But the saved should come to repentance. But that what? Do you understand why it's all now? There's no question. If I asked any of you in this room, you know what, if I asked any person in the world probably that's a parent, how many of your kids do you want to save? It's a very simple question. It's a bonehead question. No one would miss it. I can tell you that I have known parents who have lost a child. Not only immediately because I have to break the news, right? It's not like I can just send the nurse in there for me and say, well, can you tell them that uh, he's gone now? It's got to be me, unfortunately. I have to talk to them and tell them that they've lost a child. But I've also known parents after that. And you know those parents are never the same. I don't care if they're Christian or not. I don't care what religion they are. I don't care if they're like related to Ellen White or whatever. They are never, ever the same. There is something that's different. And do you know why? Because they've lost a part of themselves. There is no blow that is greater in their lives. They may deal with it well. They may still hold on to the Lord. But there is a peace that's missing out of their heart that will never come back because their child is gone. And we think about that. But I'm going to share something with you. In Revelation, we're told that God will wipe away all of our tears. But did you know that happens after the second resurrection? Because I'm going to tell you something right now. That in that thousand years, when you show up at the first resurrection and your brother is not there, or one of your children is not there, believe you me, you're going to cry. And you're going to cry a lot. But you know who's going to cry the most? It's going to be the parent who's lost the most. God is going to walk through His city and He's going to look at an empty mansion. He's going to say, why? Why aren't you here? I had a place for you. Why did you die? You're going to come to God and you say, why aren't they here? And He's going to say, Why aren't all of them here? Why aren't all of you, my children, with me? And then he'll show you why. He'll open the books. And you are going to mourn. And you are going to cry those thousand years. I can tell you that David understood that. In verse 33, go back to that. 2 Samuel 18.33 Because the illustration 
of David's love toward his son, strong though it is, it falls short. In verse 33, David says, O Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had what? Died instead of you. David would have traded places in a minute with Absalom like any parent would. He would have changed his life for the life of his son. I can tell you, I see it every day. I have a child who has a massive hemorrhage in their lung. They have a hemothorax. Or they've been stabbed in the heart and they're bleeding into their heart. And I've called for four units of blood. I said, I need all, I need eight units right now and stay four units ahead constantly. And we're putting in two large bore IVs. We're just taking IVs the size of straws and I'm putting them in this child. Trying to resuscitate them. And I get the report, you know, we're out of O negative. And you know what the parent says? I've had parents get on the gurney and say, it's right here. I'm that blood type. Doc, you put the, put the IV and you put it straight into my boy. I've told the parents, you know, your son's kidneys are failing. Take one of mine. You can take it right now. I'm ready. Any parent would trade places with their son or their daughter. But David, though he wished he could have traded places with Absalom, he didn't. He couldn't. But you see, God did trade places with you and I. The story falls short because David wished that he had died instead of Absalom. But you see, God did. He did die for you and for me. Now, how many kidneys do you have? Two. How many kidneys can you live with? One. So you can give away your kidney. In fact, I'm going to a friend's wedding who gave his kidney actually to someone he didn't even know. It was another Adventist pastor. But how many hearts do you have? And if your heart is failing and someone wants to give you their heart, someone's going to live and someone's going to die. I can tell you that. God gave you his heart that you might live and not die. But I'm going to share with you something even worse because though you are going to mourn as a parent, as a brother, as a sister for the loss of the ones that are yours, can you imagine if I came up to Eugene and we're just kind of finishing up, and there's really no hope for Heather. And you say, okay, well, Tim, I understand. You've, you've done all you could. I appreciate it. Can you just let her go? And I'd say, Gene, why don't you unplug the ventilator? I don't understand. Well, you do it every day in your job. Why don't you pull the plug? You would be horrified. But did you know that's what God has to do? God is the only one who can give or take away life. And He, with His own hand, when He realizes there's no more hope for you, He must lower you to your oblivion. 
Do you know how hard that's going to be for him? Could you even do it to your child or your brother or your sister? You'd think I was some kind of monster for asking you to do that. But you know that God has to do that at the end of time when He knows that it's only going to be suffering to convict you anymore. He must with His own hand let you fall into the lake of fire. And I tell you that He's going to mourn. Like David mourned. He's going to cry. Like David cried. But He is going to cry so much more as He is divine. And we are human. I can tell you that this truth is so powerful. But it's so true. And it's so balanced. Because many times in Adventism, we're the conservatives fighting the liberals. And, oh, you know, you have to overcome. Oh, you're living with sin in your life. And you get all this confusing, really endless arguments. But this illustration is so clear. Because David's love for Absalom was what? There's a word for it. Unconditional. Many of you have never seen that before in your life. But I hope you see it now. Because wicked though he was, he was his son. And that never changes. But you know what the interesting thing is? David's love, great though it was, did it save Absalom? Was Absalom saved? No, he died. He was lost. And so it is in the great controversy. God's love, though it is a love that surpasses the love of any parent in this room, it cannot save you if you do not let go of the cancer of sin. He cannot save you against your will. But I tell you, if He doesn't save you, He is going to mourn to the last. God is going to watch you hurtling toward your destruction. And He's going to say, no, no. And He is going to do everything He can to bring you back from jumping off that cliff of destruction. And if you do, and you are lost, He will mourn as a father mourns for his only son. He tries to tell us how he feels in Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, verses 14 through 16. He tries to tell us how he feels. But it falls short. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. And the Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? You know, we'd all look at that and say, well, of course not. But you know, it does happen sometimes, doesn't it? Right? There are some parents where their kids end up in the garbage dump or abuse them or molest them even. It does happen rarely, but it does happen. And God knows He knows. Surely they may forget, yet will I not forget you? Behold, I have 
inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. God will not forget His son or His daughter. But you know, I realized in this illustration there is something more. Because Absalom was perfect from what? Head to toe. There was how many blemishes? He was perfect. There was someone else that was perfect from head to toe. Do you remember? But that someone, like Absalom, rebelled against his father. He stole the loyalties of his father's subjects. He tried to kill his father and committed adultery with his father's bride. Do you realize who that was? This is the great controversy. Can't you see it? It's so clear to me now. You see, Lucifer, son of the morning, was the son of God. God was the father of Lucifer, who was created perfect from head to toe, right? Beautiful, no blemish. But he followed in that pathway. So I can tell you that God does love Satan. There's no question in my mind. And I know exactly why. But you know, there's a difference between you and I and Satan. There is a difference between your probation and my probation and his. And I'll show you what it is. Matthew 25, verse 34. Matthew 25, verse 34. Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for who? For you from the foundation of the world. This is the sheep and the goats. The left hand and the right hand. Right? God is basically telling the lost and the saved what's going to happen. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, don't look down, but I'm going to read you the second part of that. Depart from me, you cursed, to the everlasting fire prepared for... It doesn't say you. Do you realize that? It's different, isn't it? Because who was the lake of fire prepared for? How many human beings did God plan to be lost? Zero. Do you see that? Zero. We already know that though. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is not willing that what? Any should perish because they're His children. How many of your kids are you willing to perish? It's crazy. But the difference is is that there's only one thing that brings you to repentance and that's Romans 2.4. The goodness of God leads you to Repentance. Now, how much of God's goodness did Satan and his angels know? Well, what did Satan do before he fell? He's the covering angel, right? So, God's like here, and he's right here. What more is God going to show you? That's it. Great controversy tells us that arguments that only divine wisdom could devise were used to convince Satan of his error. Do you realize that? That was it. There was nothing more God could use to bring you back. 
But God knew I was different. God knew, well, wait, Tim doesn't know me. Tim hasn't seen me. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and it's pitch dark? I mean, totally dark. Anyone ever done that? And when you wake up, you're not sure which side of the bed your head is on. You're not sure where is the window, where's the door or your dresser, right? You're not certain where you are in space until that door opens up a crack and there's some light, right? And immediately you know where the window is, you know where the door is, you know where the dresser is, you know where your head is. And it's like me. God has cracked the door to my heart. And I'm like, it's just been my dad all these years. Just trying to get me home. Do you realize that's the great controversy? It's just my father trying to get me home. Every command, every promise, every warning is just daddy saying, Tim, come home, please. I need you back. I won't be the same without you. Because though God could create a million other Tims, He would know they wouldn't be me. Do you realize that? He could even change all your minds to think it was me. But who would know? You could have a child and dress them the same as your other child. Yeah, this is her. But even if you fooled everyone, you wouldn't fool yourself. You would know that your child was gone forever and that there was no replacing them. I want to tell you that This truth has changed my life, as you can tell. But I want to show you what happens when you understand this in Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. And as I share that with you, I'm going to share a sample passage about overcoming in the Bible and spirit of prophecy. Did you know in 2nd Bible Commentary 1004, it says in order for us to go forward... Without stumbling, we must be assured of two things. We must be assured that a hand all-powerful will hold us up. And, do you know what the second part is? And that an infinite pity will be exercised toward us if we should fall. Do you realize that? That you need those two things to overcome. And for me, it makes perfect sense... Right? Because if you don't know that God is strong enough to keep you from sinning, then it's not going to happen. Right? I'll give you an example. How many of you have seen an elephant in captivity? Like in the circus? No, don't raise your hand. (laughs) An elephant is chained, right? They chain all four legs and the trunk. Is that how they keep it still? How many legs do they tie? Just one. Do you know how they do that? Because when it's a young little elephant, little wee elephant, they do chain it up. And what do you think the elephant does? It struggles and struggles, but it realizes that what? It can't get away. So it comes to the conclusion that if I have something tied around my leg, what? I can't get away. So this animal is capable of exerting thousands of tons of force with just one foot. It could bring down the whole circus tent with just one leg. It's concluded that it can't get away. And that's what the devil does to you and I. 
He takes us early in our experience and makes sure that He is clear to us that we're never going to get away completely. That we'll always sin and convince us that there is no escape. So afterwards, He can just pull on that little rope every once in a while and remind us that we'll keep sinning until Jesus comes. But that's not all you need to know, is it? There's two things. We must be assured that a hand all-powerful will hold us up and that an infinite pity will be exercised toward us should we fall. And why will an infinite pity be exercised toward me if I fall? Because it's my dad. If I fall off the bike, my dad's going to say, Oh, okay, Tim, scrape off the knee. Okay, get up, put the helmet back on. Okay, back on the bike. Go, 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 go. That's what he's going to do. Because he's my dad. Of course he's going to have infinite pity on me. But I see that now. More than I've ever seen it before in my life. And it wasn't as if I didn't know God loved me. Of course I knew God loved me. And I knew He loved me unconditionally. But for me, there's something about knowing why. I can't really grasp something unless I know why. Have you ever had that problem? I can't understand unless I know why. But as I look at the story of Absalom and David and how wicked he was, I realized that, you know, I could give up on Seventh-day Adventism. I could throw all this stuff out. You know, I'm tired of being pure. You know, I've got all these nurses here. You know, I'm going to live it up. You know, I'm tired of giving away all this money doing mission work. I'm going to earn some money, you know, spend some money. I'm going to forget all of this. I could walk away. But you know, I'd still be God's son. Wouldn't I? That wouldn't change. And there's something that happens to you. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2 as we close. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Tim, and He who formed you, my son, Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. Here are the three words. Do you hear them? You are mine. And when that happens, you know what follows? The next verse. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Do you realize that when you understand this about God, that you can overcome, that you are invincible at last? Because it doesn't matter what happens to me now, because I know there's one thing that won't change. You all could walk out of this room and say, you know, this was the worst seminar I've ever heard. You could say, you know, Tim, you're the worst doctor I've ever seen. But you know, that doesn't matter to me now, because I know who my dad is. And that's not going to change. You know, I could go right now, change my hair to green, get a body piercing. I could leave the church. I could even get a sex change. But you know what? You could come and take any cell from my body, my hair, my cheek, down to my toe. No matter what I've done, even if I was not recognizable to any of you, every cell in my body tells you who I belong to. And that will never change. 
You can deny it as much as you can with your brain, but every cell in your body will tell you whose father belongs to you. You can't get away from the truth because you're mine. There are some cards on your chair. And I'd like you to take them. No matter what decision you make on them, I still want you to fill them out. Put your name, your email. And if you have heard God's voice today, I want you to write that down on the card. I'm going to give you some time to do that. I'm going to ask you to think about what I've shared and that you are God's. And if you have heard God's voice calling you to be baptized, to study to be baptized, I want you to mark that. If you know that you have fallen away from God or perhaps you weren't baptized in a biblical way, or for me, you have learned a truth that you have never known before, I want you to mark rebaptism. I can tell you right now, I have decided to be rebaptized at the end of this year because of what I've just shared with you in this hour. I pray you take some moments to do that. During the break, I'm going to let you fill those out. And then I'm going to ask you to just fold them up and pass them to the ends of the aisle and just leave them on the seats. I'm the only one who's going to read these. And then you are dismissed. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.